Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast with this sound effect. And also this one. Hey, those two go well together. And how. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I don't have a nickname. I don't need one. Cool. But uh, and, uh, it doesn't make my uh, my reviews any less uh, brilliant and insightful. Wouldn't it be sad if, like, that's what it was? Like, you, you, you can't, like, be, like, an insightful film critic until you have, like, a cool critic name. Like, you can't be a superhero mm. whose name is, like, Doug. Like, you've got to actually yeah, have, have, like, a superhero some, name. A little bit of zazz to your yeah. name. Roger Hopefully, Ebert? Eh, we call him the Destroyer. Well, call him the Thumb, I suppose. Oh, that's um, not a great name. <laughs> although they tried to do that with all of those Avengers movies. It's like they don't ever say, "Hey, Captain America, I'm right. throwing a bad guy at you." It's like, "Hey, Steve." Yeah. It, it's it's so I don't know. It seems so incongruous. All to me. we ask is for a little decorum. Yeah. You know. He puts on the outfit, he goes to all the trouble. least he can do is call him Captain America. Anyway, you don't go to Captain America school for eight years. Just to be called Steve. Yeah, come on. Anyway, this week <laughs> on Critically Acclaimed, we're reviewing the new releases, Dear Evan Hansen, My Little Pony, A New Generation, Sankofa, and Surge. Yeah, those four. Serge like Serge Gainsborough or Surge like the drink? Surge like the drink. Okay. But it has nothing to do with the drink. That's too bad. It is too bad. I would have loved to. I would have watched a whole like eight hour documentary about the history of Surge, <laughs> the drink. Uh, sir, yeah, during like those four months when it was in production, Surge was, uh, dear listeners, uh, I, I suppose you could call it a competitor to Mountain Dew, like right around the time energy drinks like Red Bull w- yeah. was like taking off. Yeah. And um, they they pushed it real hard. Mm-hmm. I think it was owned by the Coca-Cola company. And, yeah. um, it was part of the Rock and Roll Cola Wars, you know, when we couldn't take it anymore. Ah, of course. Uh, but uh, we did start fires about it. Uh, <laughs> Surge, uh, it was it was bright green. It came in a, a can that looked like it was exploding with green energy. And they gave out free samples like there was no tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I would go down to all of my local shopping centers and there were always... Uh, People who are clearly working for peanuts, just handing out cans of this mm-hmm. stuff, and I took two cans uh, and as a free sample once. Okay, so take one. Okay, have a t- have another. Sure, more soda. I don't drink soda, but whatever, it's free. And I drank a can, and it it tastes like not very good Mountain Dew, and Mountain Dew tastes pretty crappy anyway. Mountain Dew is not great. So yeah, I was like really acidic. It tasted a lot like the not, can. Let's get a baseline here. Is Mountain Dew better or worse than Sierra Mist? Well, Sierra Mist is a lemon lime, isn't it? Sure. <laughs> is Mountain Dew Le- not... Lemon, l- lemon limes are typically pretty good. I, I favor 7-Up uh, above them all, but... Uh, okay. Uh, I drank the can of Surge. It was okay. I waited a couple hours, and I like I saw a movie, and then on the on the way out of the movie, I decided, well, I have this can, I don't want to keep it in my pants pocket anymore. I'll drink the other can. Uh-huh. And it made me so sick. Well, that yeah. set like I like nearly vomiting sick when I drank that second can of Surge. I don't know what was in it that my body was disagreeing. Something about the green dye. Mm. It it was really revolting. Right. I'm saying and, I want to see a now, documentary about that. I know Surge yeah. is is gone. Nobody remembers Surge yeah. anymore. Uh, and thank goodness, you know. Yeah, I'm fine s- with it. Sign of a bygone era. Although we're still living in the the energy drink le- world. Yeah. Like people still drink Monster, and all of that's really awful. Yeah. 
Anyway, we review movies. So uh, <laughs> this week we're reviewing the new releases. Uh, we already did that. You said the, the new releases. We already did that. Um, and, uh, you know what movie makes you feel like you're drinking an energy drink is Dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, As... I, I was filled with, with rage. I don't know about energy. <laughs> I, I don't know if energy is the word I would use. Uh, uh, dear boy, Evan, Dear Evan Hansen dear is Evan a thing. Dear Evan Hansen that... is... Uh, it, God, it sure is. A, it, there's blood in the water with Dear Evan Hansen. It's attracting the sharks. Uh, dear Evan Hansen is a new film. It's based on a hit Broadway show. Tony Award yeah. winning Broadway show. Uh, from about five years ago, thereabouts, yeah. a bunch of Tonys, and, and I, to, to, and just as a baseline, because I know a lot of people are Broadway stands. You know, they really know oh, yeah. a lot about Broadway. They follow Broadway. Uh, I have a lot of respect uh, for Broadway, but I don't follow it. I, I live oh, nowhere can, near it. Yeah, we, it, we can't we can't go see yeah. shows on Broadway unless we fly across the country. Yeah, and, and even when those shows do end up sort of traveling around, it's expensive, and mm-hmm. I can I. I've gone to like like Hamilton is at the Pantages here in Hollywood. I, I, but... I, I saw Hamilton at the Pantages, which mm. was a gift from my mother for like Christmas. She she got okay. us tickets, uh, and I got to see a Book of Mormon at the oh, Pantages nice. as well. But yeah, yeah. I haven't been to a Broadway show since probably two thousand four, two thousand five, because I don't get to mm. go to New York very yeah, often. Yeah. And I and I've heard you know I've some I've seen some stuff that has become movies. I have. Uh, heard some soundtracks here or there, but Dear Evan Hansen just completely passed me by. Mm. I assumed, since it was so popular, since it won so many awards, that it must be pretty good. But that's all I really knew. Oh. And I don't think I was even consciously aware of like what the plot was until shortly before this movie came out. Mm. And I was like, what? Um, well, the plot is uh, very similar to that of the Bobcat Goldthwait film, World's Greatest Dad. Which is a great movie. It's, it is quite good, and um, that one stars Robin Williams as uh, a father whose son is just a, a horrible person that he has very a lot of trouble raising. Yeah. Uh, he... he uh, just like, toxic ver- in every way. Nobody likes him. He contributes, girls. Yeah, he, he contributes just nothing really positive to the community. He's, mm. be, he's borderline emotionally abusive to his dad. Mm. And his son ends up uh, uh, dying uh, while uh, attempting autoerotic asphyxiation. You can mm. look it up. Uh, but but uh, in, in, the, when he uh, and when Robin Williams discovers his son, he's heartbroken. Mm. Uh, but he wants to preserve to, his son's dignity. Yeah, in order yeah. to sort of you know make sure, yeah, that his son doesn't isn't remembered for his final act. He wrote he wrote a note and. Uh, the note was so well written, in fact, that it started catching on attention in the broader community. It was uh, being you know, circulated online and eventually published. And uh, the, the dead son started being held up as this sort of uh, unseen uh, sufferer, this young uh, young uh, uh, symbol of all of uh, teen mm. angst that was going on and recognized. And now he's being remembered as someone who actually was a very beautiful, misunderstood stole, and that's actually not who he was at all. Yeah, um, and yeah. That's... it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a dark comedy though. Like it's not supposed yeah. to be well, inspirational it's... and sweet. No, and it's fact, actually uh... very very very. It's actually a very bitter but very insightful film about the way that people take, like to turn other people's deaths mm. into something that's into, about them. Yeah, like a cause of theirs. Yeah. And that is a huge part of Dear Evan Hansen as well. Um, yeah. Evan Hansen, the title character, is a young, socially awkward um, a teenager 
He's mm. played by uh, the star from Broadway. Ben Platt. Uh, ben Platt. And who... he's dealing with a lot of mental health issues, certainly mm. depression, certainly uh, probably generalized he's, anxiety disorder. He's t- taking uh, un- unspecified meds for some sort mm-hmm. of uh, mood disorder. Yeah. And uh, he has been assigned by his mother, who's played by Julianne Moore, uh, to, or, or I guess as a shrink gives he him has, the assignment. He, he has a psychologist. Uh, he, uh, we never see the psychologist, but he has a psychologist who has given him an assignment to write a letter to himself mm. every day. So and, he, he starts letters yeah. to himself. Dear Evan Hansen, my day isn't going so well. Like he's mm. kind of having a conversation with himself so he can kind of mm. suss out his moods a little well, bit more cleanly. The, the structure is actually today is going to be a great day, but he mm. has trouble sort of lingering on that thought and the letters tend to turn uh, uh, darker whether he likes it or not but in any case he's it's the first day back at school and uh he's he's, he's broken his wrist on an accident he fell out of a tree recently mm-hmm. so he's a big cast on his wrist yeah and uh it doesn't look like the school year is going to be any better people are ignoring him or are mean to him over the course of the day he ends up interacting with another uh, young man in his grade uh, named connor who is also a pariah who is also seen as having severe mental health issues. Uh, And while they are interacting in a library and Connor is actually making an attempt to befriend Evan Hansen and actually like, sort of like, Hey, we seem to both be loners. Can we talk? I feel bad about how we interacted earlier. Let me sign your cast. That kind of thing. It seems like a real attempt to reach out. Um, It it seems sort of ironic to me. Perhaps. Oh, look, you're, you're, you're friendless as well. I'm going to sign your cast ironically. So he signs mm. his cast. For me, I saw it as an, an, a genuine attempt to reach out. Right. The, the reason why is because Evan Hansen, for whatever reason, had decided to print out the print, letter that print, he wrote to himself. He printed out one of the letters. Which uh, is completely unnecessary. You could totally email that to your psychologist. In, in but, the school library, so and, it's a shared printer. Connor yeah. finds the letter. And, uh, because and, the, and because the letter specifically mentions Connor's sister, whom Evan Hansen has a crush on, Connor happens to look at the letter, which is not long, mm. and thinks to himself, Evan Hansen is manipulating me or being creepy, and he's making fun of me, or he only wants to use me to get to my sister. And he has, you know, a big, uh, 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 outpouring of rage and he vanishes and Evan Hansen taking the letter with him, taking the letter with him. Evan Hansen spends a couple of days worrying how this is going to affect him. Is Connor going to like show the internet, the the letter to everyone at school, that kind of thing. And then uh, a couple of days later, he is asked to the principal's office where Evan Hansen's parents played by Amy Adams and Danny Pino, um, so we have uh, uh, Julianne Moore mom and, uh, Amy, and Adams. Amy Adams mom. Yeah, yeah, and a... that feels like some sort of treaty has been violated. <laughs> you can't like, have both. You're not allowed to have both. You can have one or the other. Yeah. Uh, but they uh, they inform him that Connor has ended his own life. And what they think is the suicide note is... Is the Dear Evan Hansen. Is letter. the Dear Evan Hansen. And they assume that Connor and Evan Hansen have been friends. And because their son was emotionally distant and not talking to them, they simply didn't know about it. So they assume this is this is the case. Evan Hansen rather weakly tries to deny it, but they're so sad he can't quite bring himself to say the words. Mm. And so they invite him over to dinner to sort of just tell me what you knew about our son because we didn't get to know him very well and obviously we're all very distraught. Uh, and at that point, it goes from a, a tragedy to something that is genuinely fucked up. Well, it, it this is the moment where um, 
he decides to agree with them that this letter yeah. that he wrote to himself uh, really was Connor's yeah. suicide note. And not and... just not correct them mm. and like let them have whatever they like. The, oh, your son had a friend. That's nice. But to start piling on detail and manipulation. Well, they, they keep asking him and pressing yeah. him. So yeah. he and he is not in a position. He doesn't have the wherewithal to yeah. just come out and say the truth. He's trying to. Uh, appease them in that yeah. that moment. Uh, this is a musical. He's had several songs along the way, and the songs are actually, I think, uh, very heart wrenching. They're actually mm-hmm. kind of honest uh, musical numbers. They're that, certainly uh, trying to be. Yeah, they're certainly yeah, that, trying to be. That Ben honest, Platt yeah. is delivering very well. He's performed this on Broadway, mm-hmm. and now he's performing it again on film. And I feel like uh, the, the songs themselves uh, in a vacuum are actually staged really well. Um, but yeah, the, but just like in World's Greatest Dad, the the letter begin uh, starts proliferating, and then uh, Evan Hansen decides to write more letters. Yeah, as, as like a I'm conversation gonna, I'm gonna between fake he, an uh, ongoing email conversation between the both of us, and it's, the, the, the <laughs> emails are dated. I don't know how you do that. But, I, uh, yeah. He has a friend who knows computers, basically, yeah. and the so, whole thing. So there's this whole musical to, uh, number where he's trying to write these letters between Connor and himself hmm. and backdate them. Which, by the way, has a whole bunch of bits. Where like his friend keeps trying to like eroticize their relationship, yeah. and so he has to keep insisting, "But I'm not gay," and that feels like a weird digression that we really did not need, and well, is they, not funny. They keep on stressing that um, the parents keep inviting Evan Hansen over because they assumed that he mm. and Connor were lovers. It, the, the parents never say they that. Never, but all the, they uh, the, never uh, the say. Students, I wish they had. A lot of the other clearer. students say like they assume that yeah. Evan Hansen and Connor were were boyfriends. I wish they'd come out and said that yeah. rather than left it. You know, mm. something that you but, could uh, also not take away with with relative ease. And all of these letters, the rest of the world is just eating up. They love this. They start foundations mm. in Connor's name. He is really really troubled, mm. and he was suffering silently. Mm. So let's yeah, let's collect money and help others in need and. Just like in World's Greatest Dad, this uh, poor, tortured young man is now being used as a, a feel-good tool for the community. Yeah. Uh, and that is ethically dodgy on everyone's part. And Evan, yeah. Evan Hansen is the one who's perpetuating all of this. Yeah, it's... The, it's... the uh, He also... Hmm. He oh, is... Uh, the sister is played by uh, Caitlin Deaver from uh, Booksmart. Booksmart. Yeah. She's great. I love her. And... Uh, she does not have rosy memories of Connor. In fact, uh, in fact, Connor she, was the essentially abusive to her. Yeah, Connor. She talks she, about she being trapped in her how, bedroom while he was like banging on the door, threatening to kill her. He he was abusive. He manipulated her. Uh, she tells yeah. a story about how when she was twelve, uh, he called her and he was like strung out on drugs downtown, and he just wanted money. So she gave him some money. Yeah, she had, 12, and she had she to, twelve had to take a bus and go downtown. Yeah, and I'm yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so she doesn't have any good memories of her brother. And so this new uh, figure that Evan Hansen is selling to the world uh, mm. that he's making up about this guy he didn't know. Yeah, he sings an entire is, song to her mm. about how your brother really loved you. He noticed all of these things about you, which actually Evan Hansen noticed because he has a romantic crush on her. Oh. And that gets really fucking weird. Like, no, your brother really loved you, but he loved you in the way that I romantically love you. Mm. And I'm trying to erase your actual memory of abuse and replace it with a rosy memory, which actually isn't necessarily going to help you deal with your abusive past, but it will help me get closer to you. Mm. So when they start dating, it's evil. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, 
and the, you know what? I would be I would be okay with this if the film acknowledged its own darkness. I would too. But it doesn't. It treats like Evan Hansen. It says the film uh, declares is making mistakes. He's making yeah, bad clearly. decisions. Yeah. It's not condoning what he's doing, but it's not rolling with how far this has already gone the way World's Greatest Dad did. The movie is uh, so insistent on being sympathetic with everyone that it has no moral compass whatsoever. And well, I think it, that's something that's that the movie lacks its principles. Well, that's the thing that strikes that it, it, World's Greatest Dad is a very mean movie about really mean things, but it's tone yeah. and it's perception, it's principles, it's it's a viewpoint is clear. Yeah. The viewpoint of Dear Evan Henson is not clear because I get the impression that we're supposed to sympathize with Evan Hansen and we find out more about him in ways that are specifically designed to make him more sympathetic and to make us understand what he's going through. And I get that on one level, I am sympathetic with his motivations. Hmm. I'm not sympathetic with what he does, which is a prolonged series of conscious decisions to manipulate for his own end. Initially, fine. I can understand the social awkwardness involved and you made a bad call. Over the course of the film, the decisions he gets he makes escalates mm. and make him, regardless yeah, yeah, of his yeah. motivations, into an emotional abuser. And that yeah. is something yeah. that is really grotesque that the if, movie never really engages with. Even when the shit hits the fan, as it inevitably must, he gets off pretty fucking light. He, he gets off super... Yeah, he is not confronted in a satisfying way. Uh, if he weren't confronted... And he realized that he kind of liked manipulating people and became kind of an evil person. Ooh, that that would have been an interesting arc, yeah. uh, you know, not necessarily an uplifting or exciting one, mm-hmm. but you know, an arc. Uh, yeah, Evan Hansen he has that moment where he realizes what he's done is wrong, but all he does is sort of like drift off to the side and have a "I'm alone again" song rather mm-hmm. than. I've done some pretty ethically bad things. Mm -hmm. And indeed, one of the things that he does, and it's very few things to try to sort of redeem himself, uh, involves violating the sanctity of privacy in psychotherapy. Well, I don't want to go into great detail, but he he shares something that is from a, is from therapy. Okay. That he, that he shouldn't have been privy to. And certainly no one else should because Mm. it's, a group of people who would be in therapy to get it doesn't yeah, work the uh, the emotional honesty comes in little fits in this movie you can tell yeah. that the, like they're they're trying to put its heart in the right place and uh i'm sure everyone is, was very well intentioned i just don't yeah, think they and, necessarily uh, knew how to put it together and i feel like on stage a lot of the darkness might read a little bit better mm-hmm. uh, there are also numbers that are apparently missing yeah. here oh, which okay. maybe add more context mm-hmm. maybe make it work more effectively i also am willing to accept that in theater the live theatrical experience, there's something a little bit more. The audience is expected to engage its imagination even more in some respects in theater because mm. there's a certain a there's a certain immediacy, but there's also a certain abstraction. We can't see that this is actually high school. Yeah, we know they're, it's fake. they're on a set. Yeah. yeah. So as a result, I think there is often a willingness to go along with the ride, whatever it is. Mm. That doesn't always come across in cinema because in cinema, so many other artisans can do that work for you and as a result we expect movies to sort of guide us guide us to where we need to go rather than expect us to take that journey ourselves mm. and so i acknowledge that dear Evan Hansen is something that may work better on stage may very well capture this tone uh steven jabosky who who directed this um 
he tends to make movies about teens in emotional crisis. His film The Perks of Being a Wallflower is mm. a film that I have a few issues with, but is mostly a very tender and earnest motion picture, okay, he, and I mostly really appreciate it. He also wrote the novel on which it's based. Also wrote that he's, novel, he's so a he's, novelist he's very well, close yeah. to it. Um, so he, yeah, here he, he put, seems putting to... Putting himself in, in the mind of a teenager who is yeah mm. in, in emotional dire straits and is going to make bad decisions in that yeah. space here i think is, the, is a fine place to occupy i think it is i think it isn't though i think his earnestness with this the the sort of like i'm just gonna put everything every song every act here at face value and put all of my heart and soul into evan hansen's journey even at the sacrifice of everyone else's journey many of whom are more sympathetic or are going through greater tragedies including mm-hmm. the person who who killed themselves yeah we don't get to know his story we don't get to know his story his story is permanently usurped Mm. by Evan Hansen. His story is warped by Evan Hansen to fit his needs or what he thinks other people need to hear. And in the end, his story is never properly told. Mm. And when all is said and done, when people look back at this event that happened, no one's going to say, oh, poor Connor. They're going to talk about what Evan Hansen did. His life has been completely hijacked and so has his death by someone who had absolutely no business being there in the first place. Did you ever and there's see, a song uh, where he actually appears as kind of like a ghost or whatever. Yeah. And it's the way that they handle it is so crass. Well, it, it just it, really pissed me off. It, it, in that moment, that's meant to be crass. But you know, it is. By, but by it's the time we get to the end, doing, yeah, Con- yeah, Connor's story has been erased, and that's really, really reprehensible. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people who did said, you ever see Love Simon? I did. Okay. I, did finally yeah, I didn't see it when it first came out, but I did eventually. Okay, it's quite yeah. good. Uh, it, it's it's a very sweet film. It's um, yeah. my only issue is that Simon himself is like a blandest host kind of character. Like he yeah. doesn't have a lot of texture. But uh, near the end of that movie, um, a he, lie is he's, revealed as well. Yeah. Well, he he's essentially blackmailed by a classmate because yeah. he's in the closet and he hasn't told his his family yet, and yeah. he doesn't know how to handle that. And this is the modern world. It's not like people will care a great deal if he comes out, but it's hmm. his story to tell. And I mean, says, it depends on your community as well. That, yeah. that, that, that let's be fair, but like in that but particular there, case, there are, there are no, many, they're openly gay actually, kids yeah, in their mo- high school. Mo- and it's not a big deal. Many out kids at the school. Yeah. Um, so, but when this other student finds out and blackmails him and then uh, does something really horrible with mm-hmm. that information, he confronts that kid and he says, it, it doesn't matter. This was my story. I got to tell this. And I was waiting for that moment with Connor in this movie. Connor gets to tell his story at some point. Wouldn't that have been nice? And And he kind of, for a a brief second, they give you the impression that he does, but he doesn't really. Mm. It's not like, it's not like we actually get Connor's story. Connor is erased. Connor is deprioritized in this narrative. And that's something that is frankly fucked up. Mm. I know a lot of people who, um... This movie, you know, screened for critics and had some festivals and people of critics have been very, very hard on it. And I think with cause, I think it is a movie that is very, very painful to watch because its sympathy is wildly misplaced. Yeah. But I've uh, a lot of people have seen it now and the audience score on like Rotten Tomatoes is really high and some people are responding to it very, very well. And I've had some people respond to like my tweet about it saying like, oh, you have no soul. And, <laughs> and you know what? And, that, and you're entitled to that thought, and that's fine. But for me, 
this general attitude that I've seen, the defense of the movie is that we're not sympathetic enough with Evan Hansen. Mm. I can be sympathetic with why people do monstrous things while still condemning the things they do. And World's Greatest Dad is an example of that. A great example of that. The father does uh, really unethical things and is actually... For a lot of the movie, kind of bemused that he's getting away yeah. with it. Yeah, like but he understands that he's getting away with something. Yeah, there's there's always know? this thought: one day this this lie will be revealed, and you know I'll be screwed. And so, but then you know another yeah. another ship comes in, or another opportunity presents itself, yeah. so he keeps writing it. And 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 he was a, yeah. So that's a great movie, but like here again, the sympathy for Evan Hansen, and I don't think Ben Platt is particularly good here. A lot of being made is the fact that he's, he's too old for the role. He's 27. A, a lot of actors too. are too old to play teenagers and still do. For me, the issue isn't he's 27. For me, the issue is he looks older than the other people playing in his age bracket, most of whom are not in the right age bracket either way. But regardless, yeah, like he, looks, he looks he he looks looks out of place. Caitlin Deaver is also in her 20s. Yeah, uh, but she doesn't look out of place. And I feel like Ben Platt kind of does. I feel like I've, Connor looks even older than he does. I so agree. Th- but like that's, that, that but he, he comes looks, out of the picture very quickly. That, though, that, so that he ben looks Platt older is, wasn't an issue for me at all. I grew up on Beverly Hills 90210 back yeah. in the 90s, and they were all in their 30s. The, the one thing for me that made it that his age fucked up a moment, there's a moment where he's having a really touching moment with his mom played by julianne moore and she's like really she works constantly she works as a nurse she's a single mom she she's out of his life excuse me uh pick up a lot and she finally has a very sweet song about just how difficult it is to be a single mom knowing that you will screw up Mm. knowing that there's so many things that can and will go wrong no matter how hard you try and at the end when he moves to hug her, his face is like a little too close to hers, and I thought they were gonna kiss. Like I was like, because he looks like more in her age bracket than he does as a teenager, and that was weird. So there was a brief moment where I just it, the the scene reads wrong yeah. because I, he looks too I, old. I don't appreciate, um, and and I haven't seen the whole film, but I've seen enough of it to know I don't want to see any more. But when know? Chris Columbus made Rent. Uh, oh, he, that was a movie uh, I wanted he, to bring up, actually. He, yeah. uh, he insisted on bringing the original cast back for mm-hmm. Rent. And that movie came out in, what, 2005? Yeah, about 15 and years after Rent premiered yeah, on Rent, Broadway, yeah. Rent, yeah, is, is very much a time capsule of the 1990s. Yes. Uh, and it should have been set in the 90s. I think yes. they set it in modern day. I think it was in post what, Did they actually set it? York. Oh, no. Uh, I don't remember that. So, I only saw it the once. Yeah, it, it's, it is very much a time capsule. And yeah. as such, you go, you're going to need people who are a very specific age at a very specific time, mm-hmm. not necessarily this thing he's doing where I need to preserve the purity of the, the Broadway cast. experience yeah. in a cinema experience. As such, we have most of the original cast now 10 years older than they were when they yeah. debuted on Broadway. Most of them read to be about 40, which mm. wouldn't be so bad if the musical wasn't very specifically it's, about people in their early 20s. It's about people in their early 20s trying to succeed in the arts in New York when they have no money. And, yeah. Uh, and, and so the, and that's a very specific was, time capsule in people's lives. There's only one member of the cast, mm. the, the main cast, who they changed and they uh, they recast with Rosario Dawson, mm. who looks so much younger than everyone else that it's a distraction. She's yeah, very yeah. good in it, by the way, but she looks very much younger than everyone else. Uh, so the casting of Ben Platt was, in one way, kind of logical because he mm-hmm. was very very much acclaimed on Broadway playing this role. Yeah. But at the same time, and he sings well, sure, and he, he, sings play, and he really plays well. the parts well. But you know, he's he's, he's also putting on that 
stage performance exactly. where he's playing really big to these film actors like Julian Moore and Amy Adams are they they've done stage work but they're sure. also used to performing for a camera where the audience is right there yeah. next to you. Ben Platt is playing yeah. to the back of the theater yeah, and so where the camera is uh, right in your fucking face. You don't his, need to do that. His age starts to read because he's so much for lack of a better term, hammier than everybody else. Yeah. He's giving a good stage performance on film and it feels really off. And again, if everyone was giving that performance, yeah, you look yeah. at the way that acting like, styles have evolved. If this exact type of performance, the movie wouldn't have gotten made, but like, let's say this exact type of performance was in a musical from the fifties, it would read fine. Yeah, absolutely. Cause he would everyone be, like, would be that. Just yeah. like Gene Kelly. Well, maybe not just, I mean, it'd be the same type of vibe as a Gene Kelly or whatever. Mm. And it would just be fine. It's a, it's a somewhat stagier performance but it's a good performance but he's really out of place here and almost wish i almost wish he could have leaned into that even more because he's so out of place and that represents his isolation Mm. you could have done that but they never really expressed that with any kind of confidence i i just i find this movie so frustrating it's it just, so frustrating, and it, it made me so angry to watch there's so this many, much, like, like a, this much, like emotional hardship being committed by a character we're ostensibly supposed to have sympathy for, and almost everything he does after maybe the twenty minute mark <laughs> is something that I have no sympathy for. Mm. And I get that movies don't always have to have well, if, positive if heroes. Yeah. You can have an anti-hero or even a villain as a protagonist, but at the same time, this movie plays it as though I'm supposed to be really forgiving of him. And you lost me because of the way you played the story. You lost that. Yeah. And yeah, now I can't, and you can't get that back now. And now I'm just, well, I'm not, I, again, I'm sympathetic for his plight, mm-hmm. but I'm more sympathetic to his victims. I'm, I'm not, I'm not so morally outraged by this movie because mm-hmm. I think it's fine to tell a morally outrageous story. Uh, in and theory, I, yes. And I, and I think there's a, a great deal of, of darkness in this story that could have made for uh, quite a good telling. Mm-hmm. But I agree. and and I do like that along the way we're getting some pretty emotionally earnest songs about the teen experience, and I mm-hmm. think some, some of, of them the, are good. Some of the songs are really quite good, and it just whittles it all down its leg because mm-hmm. it is not addressing the darkness, yeah, and falls into this kind of sappy sentimentality that it doesn't earn, yeah. Uh, from a, a lead character who's given a really oddball performance when put next to all of his peers. And then, yeah, at the end of it, it doesn't really commit to any kind of moral. It's just sort of, and he feels bad about it. And that's kind of where we leave it. He doesn't pay a price. He no, doesn't not, not a meaningful it. price, anyway. No, no, like nothing he, that counts. He does something that like sort of feels meaningful to him, and I would have loved for that to have blown up in his face yeah. at the end, where he does something that he feels really meaningful. He's going to make this grand gesture, and the parents say no. That's not what that And the sister help. says, yeah. no, you are not helping. You forfeit your right to insinuate yourself into this situation at all, even if you think you're doing something yeah, positive. Like, like if it had yeah. finally called him on it, then it would have, it would have been had. fine. But yeah, I just... wish someone had. I want, He deserved someone to sit him down. Because even like when, when the because again, the lie has to be revealed. That's the way the structure of the story is. Man, everyone's just so like eager to move on yeah. and not suffer anymore that nobody, and I mean nobody, actually takes him to task for his shit. Yeah. And I think the movie really would have benefited there... from a banger of a song from like one of the parents or even the principal well, or just someone they, with some... There was, uh, there was one character played by Amantla Stenberg. Uh, yeah. In a supporting role, who, who she's the one who sort of like figures out uh, mm. 
like what was going on. She starts this, to figure character. it out. Yeah. It, I, she actually then, has my, one of my favorite songs because she talks about um, she's like the most popular girl in school, and mm-hmm. she's like the school pres like the cool the class president, and she's got straight A's, and everyone thinks she's got all her shit together, but actually she's suffering from many of the same mental health issues as Evan Hansen, and she talks. has a good song about suffering silently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I actually really like that song. And yeah, yeah. I, I had kind of hoped that she would have been the one, that character, mm-hmm. to but, call out Evan Hansen. And then she actually forfeits the right to any sort of moral authority as well, because she does something pretty fucking rancid by the end of the movie, well, and, too, yeah, for no or, great reason. Or if everybody realized that it was a lie and everything was really rancid and they all decide to roll with it anyway, just mm-hmm. kind of showing this depravity, the way we're going to exploit the death of people, mm-hmm. you know, how you implied what the story was going to be about at the start, mm-hmm. that would have been good, too. doesn't do any of that. And, it, mm-hmm. yeah, it, I, I agree with you. I'm going to repeat your word. It's frustrating. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating because it's opening all these doors and, and not going through any of them. No, not a meaningful way. It's so it's so eager to just it's so eager to just sympathize and for, with and forgive everybody that mm-hmm. it's ignoring many of the issues that are right there. Yes, listen, I suffer from mental health issues. I've talked about it a lot. Uh, mental health issues deserve our sympathy. Deserve to be discussed. Mm-hmm. I also think they deserve to be discussed discussed well. Yeah. By people who have, uh, uh, and again, I'm sure Steve Wojcicki has. I mean, he's he's dealt with this better in other movies. Uh, but that doesn't mean every single time is going to be equal. It doesn't mean that every single earnest attempt, and I'm sure most, if not everyone involved with this, was earnestly trying to accomplish something here. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they succeeded. And what ultimately came across here is a movie that is more creepy than anything else and that doesn't help i don't think it's especially responsible the way that this movie turned out and its depiction of mental health and its depiction of uh you know Mm. even just the whole like you know rallying behind someone's meaningful statements about the the untimely uh uh, death of someone who took their own lives Mm. when we know all of that is based on a lie all of these like genuine human connections people are made are being made dishonestly Mm. what are we supposed to take away from that what are we supposed to do with that his dishonesty meant more to people than the actual truth of this teenager's of this teenager killing themselves that That would have been a message that could have been interesting but 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 again that's not something they commit the movie just does that it's like oh it's so beautiful no actually Mm. there's it's weirdly hypocritical Mm. and yeah i i'm so aggravated by this Mm. movie i just i i was mad at it i'm i'm wondering if uh, uh I'm wondering if Bobcat Goldthwait has like an actionable case uh, because mm-hmm. there, it's a very similar story very to his film uh, World's Greatest Dad. Very similar. And did you notice the name of the, the, I the high about school this. team? Uh, so basically, it's called the Bobcats, and it's and it's oh not subtle. Like we see they, they it big see in the, the background, background people say thoughts. "Go Bobcats," and again, this movie, this movie, this this play came out after World's Greatest Dad premiered. Uh, World's Greatest Dad was not a big film. It should have been. It's a really excellent motion picture. But it, it was big on the indie circuit. It was pretty big on the indie circuit, but it didn't get a lot of awards uh, attention, uh, which is again a shame. I think it's actually one of Robin Williams' best performances. Uh, and yeah, yeah, about yeah, five ish years later, this play comes out, and it's pretty similar. And that's not a problem in and of itself. But I remember thinking to myself, okay, well, they're surely not gonna like 
lean into this and call attention to it, and then they say the word Bobcats 20 times in the first 20 minutes. <laughs> and I'm like, director. Jesus Christ. So either Go, that, go that, Goldthwaites. Like, you'd think at the yeah. very least someone would have said, okay, we need to change the name of the school mm. team at least. It's, That's a bit much. A little on the nose. It's really weird. So I don't know. I don't know how that works. I do uh, know that, like, there have been... There have been, and again, I'm not I'm not saying anyone should. I don't know the legal parameters here. But uh, you may recall, what was that movie with Guy Pierce that was like, uh, um, it was like Escape from New York, but in space? Oh, was it Lockdown? Lockdown. Lockdown. Guy Pierce played a guy who was recruited to rescue, I think it was like the president's daughter who had been like kidnapped and was in like an orbiting space station prison. Mm-hmm. And structurally, mm-hmm. it's exactly the same as Escape from New York, just in a different place. And I didn't think anything would come of this, but John Carpenter sued, and he won. He won, because the story was too similar. Yeah, so mm. there's we, we're, people can be pretty cavalier about like stealing stuff and like following structural similarities. There is a line you can cross... I, so, I know. Um, I don't know if this does it, but there is a lot because I probably probably it's okay because it's a teenager who did it and not like the kid's dad. That's probably mm, big enough that it's right. probably okay. But like yeah. it's still. And again, I don't know. Maybe they didn't see it. Maybe it is a total coincidence. Sometimes people just have good ideas yeah, at the I, same time. But I would. Bob Goldthwaite is uh, constantly touring. He's yeah. he's on stage a lot. Uh, he's doing uh, a really interesting project right now with uh, Dana Gould. Another excellent comedian, and the two of them do stand up together on the on the stage at the same time, and they kind of riff on each other's material, uh, which I don't think I'd seen any other like comedic pairs do that before. I mean, the that, Sklar that were, brothers kind of, but well, like they've they've been always been a unit. That you know? weren't a duo, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like you know Abbott and Costello, of course. It goes, yeah, yeah, it goes, yeah. you know, goes back to ancient times, but I mean, two like later two in, on, yeah. independent stand up comedians just sort of doing a bit, yeah, you know, together. That yeah. isn't like an improv game or something. Um, yeah. I think that's uh, that's really fascinating, and I'd love to get a, a ticket to his tour because I know he's got something to say about Dear Evan Hansen. Oh yeah, and I, I, want, I want to hear Bob Goldthwaite's words on Dear Evan Hansen. I'll be very very um, curious. But in any case, but um, uh, in uh, in conclusion, yeah, and uh, and it's not even the only bad movie musical that came out this week because <laughs> we also have and and we're going to talk a bit about my history with it. Uh, we also have My Little Pony, A New Generation, which is a new feature film. It was supposed to come out in theaters. They decided to pull it because of COVID, and then Netflix swooped in, hmm. and they released it this weekend. This is a new... Technically, it is a sequel. like takes place generations later, hmm. after the uh, long-running, very popular uh, 2D animated My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, which has its spinoff with Equestria Girls, and it's Those, a big, uh, big, yeah. big cultural touchstone. Uh, the uh, the characters from uh, Friendship is Magic are extinct. They're and, they're, uh, they're dead. They're, uh, which they're makes, all dead. Yeah, which makes you wonder how'd they die? Like it's not like they died like they, they stopping are... a bad guy or something. That's not really what they would do. But it just makes you think. It's just like yeah. What was Twilight Sparkle's final moment like? <laughs> How did she go? These, uh, like, and, and these are and these are you know, magical talking horses. They yeah. uh, I didn't really want to think they, about that. Like one, one of the like there's unicorns and pegasuses and and uh, earth ponies. Earth ponies. Which they can't just call them pony because they're Ch- all ponies. Chained so. to the surly bounds of earth. <laughs> By the harsh mistress of gravity. Earth ponies uh, are ponies. Yeah. Pegasuses are ponies with wings, and then uh, unicorns are ponies, ponies with, with a spike. With, yeah. with a with a spike on their head, yeah. and only uh, and Pegasus can fly. Uh, unicorns can use magic, and 
there is a very rare type of pony called an alicorn, which is both a unicorn and a pegasus. They can okay. fly and use magic, but there's only a few of those. Um, uh, my Little Pony, it, I just want to give... The, but my, yeah. my, what Sorry, I was going to say is, aren't, aren't unicorns immortal in most fantasy stories? Well, not in this one, but um. what you know what you know what are immortal in, in My Little Pony is actually several characters who do not show up in this movie, uh, which is kind of weird. The whole selling this as a sequel makes this whole thing fucking weird, and I want to talk about why. <laughs> I do. I want to talk about it because okay. I'm. I'm. Right. I'm. I, this is an, it's a new generation. It's a new They're, generation. It's like Star Trek. They're just skipping ahead a generation. Not the worst idea in the world. You want to keep it in that world, but you want to like tell new Have stories, new, and new characters. characters. Yeah. That in and of itself is not a problem. Real, real fast. My Little Pony is a cartoon series that was based on. It was basically created to sell toys in the eighties. So, um, it's another Hasbro. Yeah, uh, the toys creation. are little ponies. They're plastic ponies, and they have like lifelike hair that you can brush, mm. and they have different personalities. They have these cutie marks that like give them different and personalities and interests, and uh, but differing butt tattoos. Um, basically, they're butt tattoos. The, the yeah. original uh, ponies. Were essentially the same mold. They all looked mm-hmm. very similar. Uh, yeah, there was a few variations, and, but mostly and, the same. And like like a lot of cartoons in the 1980s, uh, didn't have a lot of personality, and it existed to sell toys. No, it was... But uh, because yeah. it existed to sell toys, that branding, that insidious branding, got into an entire generation of kids. Yeah. And we've carried the brand with us ever since. Now, however, what's worth noting is that sometimes the persistence of a brand can be arguably a good thing because although the original 1980s My Little Pony TV show and movie, which were not particularly good, uh, when they decided to bring them I've back... I've seen all of these, but I've seen oh, all yeah. the movies. Yeah, yeah, but... Like, even the ones from the 80s. Yeah, yeah, they're they're not good. No. <laughs> uh, but the the when they decided to reboot them, they just, the people who were put in charge of rebooting this as an animated series actually cared about it and had some ambition and and they kind of did in a weird way what george lucas did with star wars which is i'm going to make the show that i imagined that i had while i was watching this inferior other show that excited my imagination but didn't actually give me what i wanted when, when you're a little kid, you're you're watching this show and it feels fantastic. Yeah. But it doesn't take you too many years to realize that what you were watching was not good. Yeah. So when you become an adult, you make the the good version. Yeah. And that that's was in a, your head when you were a little kid. And that's happened with several intellectual properties lately. Uh, the Netflix animated She-Ra is a good example, or mm. their Voltron as well. Those shows have problems, but they're leaps and bounds artistically from a storytelling perspective ahead of the original. And that was true with My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, which is a good show. I, I fell out of it after a while because, like all shows, it lo- runs out of steam. Mm. But the initial few seasons of that show were this incredibly wholesome but entertaining program that imagined it, a utopian world and made that kind of interesting. I was thinking about... We have a show on our Patreon called All Our Yesterdays, where mm-hmm. we review every single episode of Star Trek, and we're in the middle of the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation, and one of the uh, uh, guidelines that Gene Roddenberry created for Star Trek The Next Generation for his writing staff was there can be no interpersonal conflict they all between to, the crew. They have to work together to solve problems. That, and, that was it. Uh, you, and you watch like the documentaries of the writing staff, and they're like, how the hell do we do that? You get, How do you, you get creative. That's the deal. Yeah. You have to get creative. You're telling a story about a utopian society. 
you cannot have bullshit petty rivalries. We were supposed to be beyond that, but there does still need to be a way to tell an entertaining story within that framework. And if you can keep that framework consistent, your utopia becomes something people are willing to aspire to. And if you can tell, find a way to tell interesting stories within that system, hmm. you can create something that is not only entertaining, but different and incredibly inspirational. And I think that the for and it's show for little kids, of course, but not every little kid show is able to pull this off. My Little Pony Friendship is Magic managed to tell funny stories about a world in which, yeah, there are problems, but it's all stuff that it's about personal growth. We can all do a little better. You know, Most we can of all the we stories, can all... as the title imply, were about uh Friendship. About friendship, about yeah. the relationships between the characters and yeah. how good things feel between them. Yeah, how can we be better friends? How can we be better listeners? And I think they did an excellent job in proving that that very simple idea can be the basis for a lot of really, really great stories, but they're not typical stories in a lot of ways. You do have to do something very, very different. Um, so you have this series that has grown and expanded and sold a ton of merchandise mm. and built up a huge fan base based upon and i see why it has this almost like trekkie kind of uh, uh fan base because it's 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 utopian it's something that we can aspire to we can all yeah, aspire to be more like this and then when we're gonna reboot it with this new movie my little pony a new generation mm. what's the first thing they do they add racism it's uh, it's they, generations uh, later now the pon the the well, earth they, ponies hate the uh, uni the unicorns and the pegasuses the pegasuses the, the, hate uh, the unicorns and the earth ponies and vice and all around yeah the, uh, the 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 three worlds have become fractured off and yeah. they've given into uh these uh racist indoctrinations where they're in each individual town being taught to fear and hate the others that they never interact with and again this isn't like Star Wars, where like the fundamental basis is that fascism always comes back and we always have to fight it. This is taking, hey, that utopia mm. that did not work. That fell apart, and we will not engage with how that happened. Given uh, or give, at all, it's just eventually people started being shitty and things got really racist and terrible, <laughs> and that's the foundation <laughs> for this new one. I think and that is a bad place to start. I think this is a post-Trump movie. It very I, much I, is. I think this is about uh, looking at the country and seeing uh, fascism. Fascism sort of rise. These fascist uh -huh. ideas were always kind of a part of the fabric of this, and this is a film about how. That utopia you thought, well, mm. it it wasn't as idealistic as you thought, and there was actually some insidious things happening underneath all of this. And I'm not. And sure there were fascists lurking yeah. among the ponies, including a, a, a Muammar Gaddafi pony. Yeah. Uh, in this movie, that's really fucking weird. I'm just telling. Listen, I'm not saying you can't tell that story, but when you go from this thing that very much like pulled away from this idea of personal conflict and created something to aspire to mm. and instead you make it like no they're just as shitty as everyone else you're actually you might be saying something but you're also robbing it of a lot of its power because it mm. was above that i think it is a, a a fine story about prejudice though for little kids i think it's um, overly it's, simplified even for little kids but it is i think it is also but, uh, the message is very clearly positive i just think it's not told yeah. very well uh, um, I, I think it's told just fine and I, i'm i'm not a I'm not a brony. I, I've seen. Yeah. I've and seen I'm not movies. either. I, I just, the, I just uh, can't appreciate the show. I saw you know? the. Uh, we this did like a commentary a track. Uh, commentary track for the one of the Equestra Girls feature films, yeah, Rainbow Rocks, Rainbow which is on Rocks, our, which is which on our is, Patreon. Takes place in a parallel universe where the ponies are people, but yeah. also when when they rock really hard, they turn into partial ponies, which is yeah. very bizarre. It's a documentary. Uh, 
It, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's what happens. Yeah, when, when, when you throw a guitar at a pony, they turn into a person. <laughs> sure. Do not try that at home. No, please don't. Um, but yeah, we, we open up in Maritime Bay, but it's Maritime Bay. Isn't that cute? There's Get a, lot, it? A, lot, a, lot of, a lot of horse puns. A lot of horse puns. And uh, they, there's, there's a marquee for a Terminator movie, except it's called Judgment Nay. Judgment Nay. Yeah. Get it? Uh, and the, uh, what, I, I'm going to have to look up the names of these characters. Uh, you're um, looking for the Vanessa Hudgens ponies yeah. named Sunny Star Sunny Scout. Sunny Star Scout uh, is, uh, we start in the Earth pony uh, world, and it's, mm. It's a very uh, restrictive society they live in because they live, their entire society is based on fear. Yeah. They're afraid of uh, unicorns and pegasuses that uh, they've never interacted with, but there's all these conspiracy posters around town. Mm. It's all, it, it's weirdly evocative of like Elders of Zion shit. Like they're, yeah, it's go- they're going it goes into... beyond even where we are now in America and goes like... Mm. To like and, something and, uh, really, really the, twisted. The economy. Granted, is we're like, not that far, the, but like, yeah, the entertainment pretty... is all based on hating other ponies. Yeah. The, uh, so the economy is driven by selling products that protect you from other ponies. Yeah, uh, and and know, again, these are things that are around, but when you well, put but them I, all like together in this one thing, uh, it's like really weird. Uh, well, what I appreciate because this is you know th- this is using uh, you know the pony language uh, to sort of sell your know, kind of racist connections to gun sales and the mm-hmm. way a lot of uh, racial stereotypes is still a big part of our entertainment. Mm. Yeah. This, this is actually, actually giving very wholesome ideas uh, and ways to look at the world to a younger audience. Well, that I, that's something I will say is I think maybe the best thing about this movie is the way that it is actually trying to encourage kids to question propaganda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're being told to hate something, you should question that. That's the best part of this movie. I don't think it's to- the story is told very well, but I think the message is actually yeah, quite and good, uh, and I have no real issue with it. We also have an ACAB moment because we have... Um, uh, James Marsden plays Hitch Trailblazer. Oh yeah, he's uh, the the Ponytown Sheriff. Yeah, and, and uh, Ponytown has no mayor or king or any sort of person in charge. And eventually, we realize Mayor, mayor Humdinger from Paw Patrol. We don't have that. We yeah. just it, the the general implication over the course of the film is that uh, the 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 sheriff is basically in charge, which is weird because he's the same age as Sunny Star Scout, so he's probably like in his mid. 20s which um, seems a little they, young they seem, to be they sheriff seem to be, they seem to be teens yeah but, but they're still pretty young to be in charge look, look they're magic ponies we don't I care know, uh, I know. But, I, look you're, you're you're making me ask the questions but that's all i'm saying uh, but, anyway but uh when uh a curious unicorn uh with no agenda just sort of is wandering about wanders into the town kind mm-hmm. of randomly one day and uh is this is um izzy moonbow and izzy moonbow is naive and idealistic and just wants to make friends with everybody mm-hmm um, but is immediately attacked by the Earth Ponies with their slime-flinging machines. Yeah, they immediately say, they're, she's going to kill us all, we have to kill her first. Kill, mm. kill, kill. Sonny, who was raised by a dad who actually, like, believed he's that... A more open-minded. Well, he, he, he's actually like, no, actually, I've done research, and it turns out that all ponies ha- can and indeed have lived together in harmony, and other pe- ponies are just like, we don't trust you. You you don't understand fear the way we do. And then he dies between flashbacks, which is mm. fucked up. That's a bad way to go. And uh, he, but uh, Sonny believes that all this propaganda is bullshit, and we can live in harmony with the other ponies. So when a unicorn shows up, she's super excited because we can be friends. And everyone else is like, must kill. Eventually, they go on the run because Hitch has to run after them. And Hitch thing. leaves his uh, uh, deputy. It's played by Ken Jeong. Yep, uh, Deputy Sprout. 
uh, uh, he doesn't leave him in charge. He says, just try to keep people from being too scared while I'm gone. And within a day, Sprout has decided... because everyone He's going to be a fascist ruler. Everyone goes to Sprout and says, hey, we're really scared about unicorns. And Sprout goes up and is like, wait a minute. Maybe you should be scared. Mm. What if they're coming to kill us all? What if they're teaming up with the Pegasuses? And it's what if they're leading a caravan right here to Maritime? <laughs> like, like it just be, it's it's on the notes. And and the only good this is actually kind of fucked up. The only good song in this movie uh. is the fascist song. Mm. It's the song about basically being an angry mob. And it's clearly articulated that this is stupid people being mm. stupid. But it's also like the song that has the most energy and the most personality and the funniest it, lyrics. It's the only one that's a little different. The others are kind of just yeah. generic pop ballads. Like, we're ponies and we're, we're dressing up. Yeah, we're going to dress up like unicorns because we're going to disguise ourselves. Yeah, it's uh, not and, a great song. And it's uh, a Gulliver's Travels. At first they go to mm. Pegasus Kingdom. and, yeah. uh, and Turns out that the Pegasus the Pegasuses Pegasuses don't can't have, fly. They don't have magic anymore. It turns out there's no more magic in Pony yeah. World because, unicorns don't have uh, magic. because of the, the, the friendship schism the great friendship yeah. schism of 688 <laughs> ap and uh after pony uh, af- yeah after, <laughs> after po- we're all what, pony what, what was what was the the main pony from friendship is magic was oh it's after after twilight sparkle it was uh, a- after twilight uh, after ats ats after, after twilight, twilight sparkle. sparkle uh yeah and um we've also learned that they're uh very much like in gulliver's travels they're uh each pony tribe is devoted to some different facet. Um, the uh, yeah. the Pegasi are devoted to celebrity, uh, celebrity and and uh, uh, aesthetics. Yeah. Uh, then they go to um, the, unicorns. the unicorns, and they've devoted themselves to superstition. Yeah, and, they're actually uh, afraid of magic yeah. now that they don't have it. Uh, the, the one scene that I really loved was when they go to the pony bar. Really? And, the, and, this and is the scene that you and love. And there's, I don't know why, but the sight of the pony beatniks really made me giggle. And I really, really wanted them, to, wanted one of them to just launch into howl. <laughs> like with a bongo. I saw the best ponies of my generation destroyed by magic starring hysterical. Would have been great. Uh, yeah. And and they end up having, and I was also really hoping uh, that they'd have a drinking contest, but because it's just mm. tea. <laughs> right. They don't, um, they don't drink booze in Pony World. Th- th- listen, there's in some respects, this is not a particularly bad movie. Uh, mm. Again, the music's mostly forgettable. And, the characters mm. are, frankly, not very interesting. Like, they're not as clearly defined as the quote-unquote main six were in the orig- in the, right. in the Friendship is Magic series. Well, I'm they surely, kind of just surely Friendship is Magic had many years to develop those characters. They figured their shit out in the first story arc. I'm oh, dead okay, to, you right. watch the first story arc of Friendship is Magic. It's a little bit more action-oriented than the show would be, but everything is clearly there. Mm-hmm. And I, you don't get that in this movie. This movie's a little rushed. What yeah. can you do? But it's, like, it's, it's new animation, too, so it's yeah. CG. And, um, yeah, that, I'm, not, I'm not in love with the style. A, a lot of modern CG tends to uh, crib from a, a similar style book. Yeah. And a, a lot of CG characters, even mm. you know, across many design uh, disciplines, do tend yeah. to start looking a little samey after I was, a while. I was watching this with uh, my partner, M. Lampas da Silva, mm. and they said... Uh, uh, they brought up something because they they were an animation uh, major mm. in college and they tend to notice things that I don't. And uh, one thing they said, and I I I I saw this, but I hadn't articulated it yet. Uh, one of the ways that they just made like Sunny Star Scout like seem like the protagonist was they gave they gave her Elsa eyes. 
Oh, it's the uh, same eyes as Elsa from yeah, Frozen. Yeah. Like they just gave her those eyes. Like boom, yeah, boom. They, they all they all the same eyes. They have yeah. similar looking faces. Yeah. Uh, that, like those the the way the eyebrows and the eyes dart about. Like all the animation is, is a, a really little typical. detail that I thought was lazy and frustrating is uh, in the original uh, uh, My Little Pony, or rather My Friendship is Magic. I don't really recall the original series. Um, ponies don't have hands. Mm. They can gesture with their their hooves, and they can do scoop, some things. Scoop things up in their hooves right. if they want to but, pick something up. But yeah. if they actually want to manipulate something, like say a pen or something, they have to use their mouths, oh. and they do that constantly. And it's a it's a sight gag. It's a fun gag that they repeatedly mm. do. And there's a cute bit when the Equestria Girls bit where Twilight Sparkle becomes human, but she okay. keeps wanting to use her mouth to do things. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of funny. Like so, that's the gag. At some point in the intervening generations, um, I guess they developed opposable hooves. Because but they're just using know. their hands for all kinds of we shit. We don't know now. how many millions of years have passed. That's a fair question. And they could have evolved. It does raise the question mm. of uh, uh, Princess Celestia and Princess Luna and Discord and a variety of other characters that we've met are mm. immortal. And apparently have just let the entire country go to shit. Mm. And I'm kind of curious as to how that happened. Well, uh, do you remember what happened to Lestat in the vampire novels? He went to sleep until hair metal was invented. Well, he, from what I in uh, the uh, Neil Jordan film, yeah, like he lived so long, he just decided like immortality doesn't give way to motivation. So he just sort of sat still for a, lo- a while and essentially turned into rock. He became a yeah. statue. Well, that's not in the Neil Jordan film. That's actually in uh, Queen of the Damned. No, it's in the Neil Jordan film. No, Neil Jordan film. Neil Jordan film goes to visit him, and he's like in this cave, and he's like all made. He's all stony. I remember that from the Neil Jordan film because I haven't seen Queen of the Damned. I remember. I know Leah was a statue at one point to Queen of the Damned. Just yeah, I've seen the preview, but no, no, no. no. I thought okay, maybe I'm shit. Maybe remembering Interview the Vampire on, but they, 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 they threw Louis's corpse to the crocodiles. I remember that, or the alligators, I guess. And then he just sort of popped up. He was just in a swamp for a really long ass time. Hmm. That's what I remember. And then a Queen of the Damned, he just decided like he was bored with humanity and decided to sleep for a few decades. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, but anyway, I, well, maybe, but maybe, I, I, I maybe I remember you wrong. I probably. My am. point being, maybe that's what's happening to these immortal pony beings. Mm-hmm. They they just sort of became bored with ponydom and decided well, to sleep. And they're, they're alive. They're still around. To their personalities. Like that's, Again, you, you, you can't know, justify that. You don't know how many millions of years have passed. Again, this raises the question: <laughs> What the fuck happened? And the movie does not answer that. And again, maybe they're going to do a series and they'll get into it, but it's fucking weird mm. and it's a distracting question to mm. ask when, again, again, this isn't the point, is that fascism is always looming. The point mm. of that of Friendship is Magic, the show that they're trying to piggyback off of or pony back off of, is, uh, is again, utopianism. Mm. It's aspirational. And the worst thing that this movie does, aside from the sort of... Uh, crash sort of approach to uh, racism and storytelling, which is uh, they say they people like sort of paint all of this one people with a certain brush, like all the peg, all the, the, the earth ponies are like this, mm. but then the movie ends up probably accidentally confirming that like the whole thing about, Oh yeah, earth ponies, they're the worst. And I'm like, I mean, they are the ones who become fascists and decide to commit genocide. <laughs> So, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure your movie is having the best argument here. I, I think this, 
It's not the best argument, is my point. I'm not telling its argument very well. I, I think it's telling its argument exceptionally well, I, because okay. uh, I'm I'm not thinking of friendship as magic. I'm thinking of That's how fair. um how they are telling a story about how the magic of friendship has somehow dissipated. I don't care how. Okay, it's just not in the world right now. Yeah, and, we're approaching and the, certain and angles. And, I totally get and that. The, yeah. And the ponies are are separated and the thing mm. that will unite them is getting to know one another and that's mm. a very simple message I, you could say that's an oversimplified way of looking at racism but mm-hmm. this is a, a fable for children agree and i think that is a good way to look at it and i think that's a very healthy message mm-hmm. the idea that racism is looming and fascism is something people are eager to instill is actually a very healthy warning to put in a kid's film yeah in fact i was days. i was thinking of um if you remember cradle will rock there's an mm. element of yeah. that movie where uh, the Cherry Jones character, she's the one in charge of the uh, Works Progress Administration theater department, mm-hmm. uh, decides to greenlight a stage production of a, f- a play called Revolt of the Beavers. And it's for it's for kids. Yeah. And it's about uh, a workers uprising. It's about a fat, greedy beaver who runs a company and is exploiting his workers. And it's about how the workers essentially strike. And this isn't something that Depression-era America wanted on stage. This wasn't part of the arts. That was way, way too communist. So uh, it became this sort of flashpoint in actual court cases between uh, the uh, Cherry Jones. I, I forgot who played the congressman. I think it was I don't remember. Like Harris Yellen. I think was the car- uh, the actor. Mm. But um, about how yeah, this this lighthearted musical actually contained all of these like really hidden, actually not so hidden political messages, and they're trying to indoctrinate kids into uh, communist ways of thinking when really it was just about morally upstanding things yeah it's about and, in, in uh, a vacuum this is clearly morally upstanding yeah yes. so this this is one of those things where we can nitpick about how it's sort of maybe mishandling some of its politics but really it's saying a lot of very healthy morally upstanding things i yeah. think the film overall is pretty bland that's i i yeah. think the the, the like i said the animation isn't terribly exciting to look no, at it's pretty boring actually. Uh, you know some of some of the color schemes are <sighs> weirdly interesting but um I think I think here's I, I, and and the music mm. it doesn't really no. come off come off of this thing, but I think it is saying uh, ultimately is saying a very clear, very positive thing, and here's, that's that's here's here, you're going to give it a pass in my book. No, that's fair enough, and I, and I think it's important to note that we're coming at this from different angles. I'm someone who is familiar, more familiar with the context uh, uh, against which this is painted, uh, and you're looking at a bit more. I mean, you know a bit, but you're looking a bit more in a vacuum, uh, and. For me, what I've been thinking about while you've been talking about all this is sort of um, the way that some people really, really dig, say, Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh-huh. And some people say, that's, that's, fascism, not, dude. Yeah. That's, that's not really great Star Trek. And that actually kind of flies in the face of a lot of other Star Trek. And the way that this new narrative interacts with the old narrative that we are already familiar with is distracting. And I think that's kind of what it boils down okay. to. Like in a vacuum, if you don't know, if you know nothing about Star Trek and you only saw JJ Abrams, Star Trek and then Star Trek into darkness, mm-hmm. Star Trek into darkness is mostly fine. If you do know a lot about Star Trek, there's stuff in there that's really distracting and you can tell when the movie deviates from the sort of the soul of the original. Okay. And that's what I'm getting at here. And that's why I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be super harsh about this. I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's a particularly good movie. Oh. Uh, I think just and I think the the stuff that they change ultimately is just not as interesting as what came before. Mm-hmm. The message is relatively unassailable. I think they bungle the execution sometimes, but the overall message is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but the actual like story is more generic than this thing has been in a very very long time it's doesn't really stand out and it doesn't really make a place for itself either by having really clever or witty writing or mm. by having really standout interesting characters or by having really catchy fun songs or even by looking particularly distinctive and interesting it just becomes mediocre in a way that's very, very frustrating. And again, I, I, you can say it's relatively harmless, and maybe it is, but it's taking something that wasn't mediocre and rebooting it into something that is. And so I'm looking at that context, well, and I'm very, and I'm annoyed. Yeah, and um, that's all there is to it. If, if you look at it on a, a broader timeline, it's still mm. still heads and shoulders above the original 1980s iteration. I will agree with that. Uh, if, if it, and so if we jumped right from that to this, I would say like, wow, what a great improvement. <laughs> but we know that there's something. But that would be like jumping right from like, I don't know. That would be like. I'm there there to... hasn't been a good version of like He-Man and the Masters of the Universe or anything. No, well, there is. I haven't been paying attention. I'm trying trying to think of like a good example of this where it's like we just skipped over the really good one and we went to the one that's like, okay. Like, (laughs) you know, like I'm trying to think like if we... hmm. It would, yeah, like, the, it would be like it would be like if Dr. No is okay. It would be like imagine imagine if uh we skipped over the Steven Summers G.I. Joe movie and went right to Snake Eyes. Oh, we would yeah. say like, oh that's that's a pretty good live action G.I. Joe movie. They get some things wrong. Hmm. But like no, no, that doesn't even work out because that's not as good as Steven Summers. Anyway, I can't think of a good parallel. Right, but well, what is this? Meh. Moving on. <laughs> Tell me about uh, the new release Sankofa. Um Sankofa is actually not a new release. Oh. Um, I, I, my screener for the Dan Stevens film "I'm Your Man" did not come through on time. Oh, uh, just some some glitch, some miscommunication, some uh, somebody not sending it to the right address. Something it, these happened. things happen. It, Technical difficulties. It, it happened. Do. It's pretty common. Um, I'm not blaming anybody, but yeah. uh, that left me with sort of a gap as to what to see this week. Uh, wouldn't you know it? Uh, Ava DuVernay's company mm-hmm. uh, found a, a an Ethiopian film from 1993 mm. uh, directed by uh, a man named Haila Garima and gave, uh, gave it a 4K restoration, oh. uh, restored the entire thing, and uh, put it on Netflix with the usual amount of fa- fanfare that these films on Netflix usually get. Which is to, which say, is to none. say almost none. Yeah. Um, Damn. Yeah, so I'm this mad. Is, I, I didn't hear about that. This shit, is okay. a, a 1993 Ethiopian film that uh, opened in like I think it was only in LA and New York back in 1993. It was self distributed. It played for like maybe a week in a few art houses, and then it vanished. And it hasn't been available since. So, if you want to squint, you could say this is its proper release. Okay. Um, this uh, this film begins. Um, on the uh, on the coast of Ghana, uh, at uh, if you look up where it takes place, at, there's a, a model, uh, a, a young black woman is uh, taking pictures in these fancy outfits, and uh, there's all these tourists wandering around this castle. You look up the significance of this castle. This was a castle where uh, essentially ships bound for America would pick up slaves. Okay, this was like the last stop on the way to the United States to right. to be enslaved. Yikes! And uh, and they're just using it as a background for a photo shoot. Yeah. This, uh, an old man uh, approaches them and says, you don't know the significance of this place. You're kind of defiling it in a way. You're not you know, sort of uh, understanding the history of, of this place and what 
what is, what is going on here. Uh, the model, she, uh, let me look up the name of the actress. Uh, she wanders into a, a, like a, a hallway, a cave within the castle mm-hmm. and she's immediately grabbed Oh no. And uh and she's grabbed, stripped and branded and Jesus. a bunch of slaves appear in that cave next to her and all of a sudden she is a new character in the past. Wow. And she is now on a, a plantation in the United States somewhere. She's working for a family called the Lafayettes and we get to meet uh her and all of the other uh slaves who worked on this plantation. Um, and does she retain her memories of the future? No, she's like okay. it's she's played by the same actress, but she's kind of a new character. Got it. Uh, it's uh, sort of like uh, that movie Antebellum, but it actually works and is thoughtful. Okay. Uh, I'm about to say yeah. that is like the closest analog. Yeah, I can the, the, the main character Sankofa is played by uh, Kofi uh, Ganaba is her name. Um, yeah, she and. Uh, all of these other uh, slaves begin to sort of, we get to learn their relationships, how some of them are in love with others. Uh, one of his, uh, uh, he is the, the uh, oh, I forgot the term they use. He's like the overseer slave. He's the one who is mm-hmm. tasked with beating the other slaves. Uh, and we get to sort of see the, the strain and hatreds and suffering and horrors of slavery from the perspective of the, the people who were living through it and not in any kind of melodramatic way. It's actually, actually a very naturalistic drama. A lot of the photography is very uh, yellow and bright. A lot of it was shot during the magic hour. So there's a lot of sort of like light hanging in the air and we get a sort of, um, a more human, more humane view of these characters rather than using them as sort of, uh, exploitation, s- well, sta- stagey avatars for some sort of, yeah. uh, uh, far story. We're actually getting a much more immediate version of a lot of a slave story. Got it. Um, and, the dramas we see unfold in these very sort of humane ways and the way these people speak to one another is really fascinating. What we're seeing here is uh, you might notice that each one of the characters that we're following around has a different accent because yeah. we're now actually sort of uh, starting what is the, uh, the African-American diaspora, mm. uh, how it was born of people kidnapped from many different places and forced together and sort of forming their own culture and trying to form their own morality uh, beyond this like horrendous indignities that they've been suffering. Uh, We get to see a young man sort of fall off the deep end of extreme uh, Christianity and Mm. how he becomes involved in the church, but that sort of gives him license to mistreat others. Uh, We get to see how, uh, mothers and daughters, how they start to come to blows over, you know, who gets to serve whom, uh, all, all of these things are part of this bigger story. The movie's like two hours and five minutes. So we have plenty of time to Hmm. sort of explore when we finally understand the context of this story, of, uh, which is bookended by the, uh, the introduction. I mean, we've already understood this through watching the film, but the whole point of this is to say that, these these indignities and this horror and this horrendous part of history is still very much active. This isn't something that happened and ended. Uh, this is something that is still uh, still going on today. Hence the sort of like blending with the modern world. 
remember this. This is this is part of a lot of storytelling, uh, and a lot of history, and a lot of uh, uh, to, to use the word again, African diaspora. Uh, yeah. That that uh, it's really kind of tap into, and I, I apologize for using the crit word diaspora. I know that's uh, can rub people the wrong way, but uh, it, it's incredibly moving. This is maybe one of the more significant works I've seen about slavery. Wow. Okay. And about the slave experience. This is and this an is just incredibly thrown on Netflix film. and no one said anything. Uh, yeah. This is uh, a significant African film uh, that's maybe one of the better films of the 1990s. And wow. this is, yeah, just sort of being... So this is, uh, this is an amazing motion picture. Th- this, this, is, this is a masterwork. This is okay. something that I think people need to seek out. Holy shit. This is something okay. they need to show in when, classrooms. When did you see this? Uh, two days ago. And you didn't, like, yell at me to make sure I saw it in time? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm mad I missed this thing. No. Uh, I, I apologize. Yeah. Well, don't I'm, don't I'm wait. I'll put it on the Twitters for what that's okay. worth. Well, I can't follow everything uh, you do. But yeah, Sankofa is, is a... a, a a towering work that it really needs to be paid attention to. And uh, once again, thanks to the nature of streaming, yeah, uh, things can just sort of come and go really quickly. And if they're not being hyped by whatever platform they're going on to uh, or getting any kind of publicity whatsoever, it's just going to sort of be mixed in with this gigantic hunk of the word they use is content. Yeah. Uh, all it is is that they're just this filling is, stuff up. This is a significant work of art, yeah. and uh, it needs to be paid attention to. So please, mm. please uh, go go onto Netflix. Yeah. It's there. All right. Well, yeah, I am definitely going to see that. Yeah. I'm, it, it, I'm curious. Do you think it qualifies for like? Do you think it qualifies for best movie of the year? Or do you think that this it's sort of like against? It's not like it's the other, uh, the other side of the wind where it was unavailable. Completely, uh, it's, it's uh, yeah. Other side of the wind wasn't even completed. It was never yeah. released. This one was technically released. So okay. this is give this, it an asterisk. It's one of the best films of 1993. I can yeah. say that. Fair enough. Right there next to Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. Well, damn it! It sounds like I need to see that movie. Uh, the other movie that I saw this week was a uh, British film called Surge, which we already made the cola jokes, so I think we're good. Uh, this is a film that stars Ben Whishaw, uh, the voice of Paddington. Uh, he also plays Q in the in the new James Bond movies. He's a very good actor. Yeah, um, you ever see that movie Perfume? No, the but Tom you, you, you told me about it a lot. I um, love Perfume. He's a very versatile actor. I'm a big, big fan. And uh, this is a movie uh, in which Ben Wishaw plays uh, he plays a an airport security agent. So it's, they don't have the TSA over there, but it's their equivalent. Mm. Um, and uh, every day he goes to he goes to work. And he pats people down and he takes away insignificant trinkets because maybe they could be used as something bad. And he like violates people's dignity by having to like take them in to like be strip searched and stuff. And it's just a miserable, Mm -hmm. shitty, soul sucking job. He's very isolated. He's very alone. It's his birthday and everyone's eating his cake, talking about how shitty the cake is. And nobody knows whose birthday it is. <laughs> like that's, they, no one even brings it up. He goes and then, to see. Then Angelina Jolie shows up and she's a secret assassin. God, I and, wish. Okay. Uh, no, he, uh, he, he goes home to see his mom and dad. His dad is kind of an asshole. His mom has clearly lived with a lot of repression in her life. And, 
finally everyone's everything is just so shitty everything is so awful he's just walking around he's not even a zombie he just looks dead his eyes are sunken mm-hmm. and then uh he has this thing where he likes to bite things like as a sort of a stress okay thing yeah. and he ends up biting his glass at his parents house so hard that it shatters oh gosh and that's for whatever reason that's the thing that just makes him go fuck it so for the rest of the movie he's living his life like fuck it he uh he makes a scene at work. Uh, he completely calls attention to the fact that all they're doing is security theater and they're not actually security really people, yeah. not. It's not actually making people significantly any more secure. All they're doing is preventing people from like carrying their drink of water onto the plane. Uh, he gets, so he gets Bartleby the Scrivener a little bit and syndrome, but it goes on from there and he decides to, he just quits or he gets fired whether one of those happens it's hard to say which uh he decided the girl he has a crush on at work is uh was complaining that she was having trouble setting up her television mm-hmm. so he goes over to her house while she's sick uh to try to fix her tv they need a cable to do it he goes out to buy the cable he, he doesn't have enough money for the cable because they only take cash he's got to go to an atm <laughs> the atm God, takes his, like a the atm takes his card he goes to the bank the bank refuses to like give him he has to do it all online they won't even give him any money and he just says fuck it he writes a note and he robs the bank (laughs) and at this point he's just completely living free of any of his old any of his old depressions any of his old hangups anything that's like preventing him from doing whatever he wants what he wants is very rarely violent but it's all very destructive um, he like gets a hotel room and proceeds to just completely dismantle it. Like okay. he carves up the bed just to, to like see if he could fit inside like a burrito. Like he breaks right. the TV. Like he's just. There's something cathartic about this. There kind is. Of there is yeah. something cathartic about it. like there's the my problem with the movie is that there's really nothing more to it than that. Mm. It's just he does this and it's kind of cathartic for him and like that's it. And on some level, I think we can all sympathize with that. Certainly, we've all had days like that oh. where we wish we could just say fuck it i'm so sick and tired of this overwhelming uh weight mm. that society has put on our shoulders to behave a certain way work within certain parameters live within certain parameters become part of this capitalist system live with all these kafka-esque rules and you just wanted to say fuck it i'm not following the rules anymore i'm doing whatever um joker is a movie about that in a lot of ways, and yeah, about yeah, the uh, the freedom that comes from uh, mad- madness. Essentially. Basically, yeah. Joker is a clunky movie. I'm not a big fan of Joker. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that are good about it. It's well photographed. Joaquin Phoenix is very good, but it's really clunky, and its connection to Batman is kind of awkward. But regardless, it, it has a point. It's an obvious point that I think it sells in a very adolescent way, but it does have a point. Surge just feels like, and then this happened, and then we're good. And there's something really frustrating about that, Hmm. because it doesn't seem to have any particular thoughts about what this means, whether this is good, bad, it just simply is what it is. This is just watching Ben Wishaw kind of sadly cut loose for about an hour after, after the plot finally kicks in. Ben Wishaw is an incredible actor, and I think he's actually giving a really, really excellent performance here. Mm. I believe every single thing he's doing, uh, which is, you know, hard to do when you're doing things that are self-destructive or uh, uh, quote-unquote mad. Mm. 
there's a really sweet scene towards the end where he actually finally has like a real conversation with his mom that I think is not quite enough to like give the movie a point or like mm. a real purpose, but is probably the best scene in the movie. Uh, but yeah, it's just a movie that is angry and is d- d- demanding a catharsis. Mm. But I th- I don't think the path to excess leads to the palace of wisdom here. I don't think the catharsis gets us anywhere. Well, it's not even it's not like, even all that cathartic, really. It's not even like he like starts a revolution or everyone's well, is, like inspired by him. He's just sort of, of sad the, and then it's over. It's one of those like uh, if if you pay attention to the arc of a lot of like David Cronenberg movies, the, it yeah. starts out in a very sort of like a sterile environment and by the end somebody's in like a, a burnt out apartment like yeah everything's been sort of inner, infected inner, ca- yeah, or inner, affected, inner chaos yeah. has turned into outer chaos and yeah the, and here that's not really the, the case yeah, is, is it like a, if it's a story of entropy just about yeah. this guy's deterioration that's also you know a, a line fine, to follow it would be fine if it was entropy but it's yeah. also arguing that he feels alive and free in a way that he never has but okay. it doesn't seem to be getting him anywhere or doing anything and it just ends up feeling like a bunch of stuff well, that happened freeing is getting somewhere a little bit but at this i I, without i don't want to ruin the ending but the ending doesn't really make him feel that free oh uh so i'm I'm frustrated this is a great performance wrapped in a premise for a movie but it doesn't really feel like much of a film Hmm. uh so i guess if you like ben wishaw and you should he's a good actor uh there's certainly best the worst ways to spend a day than watching surge uh but yeah, this one didn't really do it for me. I had a rough week for movies. I did not see your your instant classic 1993 movie. I saw a bad musical, mm-hmm. a not very good musical, and Surge. So <laughs> let's just let's just wrap up this week. <laughs> right. and maybe maybe next one will be uh, better. Uh, let's review movies on the critically acclaimed scale. How we review movies? We review movies on this podcast on a scale of C minus to C plus. Most movies, theoretically, anyway. Or average, they have some good and some bad. They're C. Uh, movies that are below average in our estimation, movies we do not recommend, uh, are C minus. That's below average. And movies that we definitely recommend, we think they are at the very least above average, maybe even good or great. Uh, that's a C plus. Uh, surge. Uh, I'm going to give a very low C. Okay. It's a very Ben Wishes performance is good enough to pull it up. Uh, it's certainly made with some assurance, but I'm not ultimately convinced that it's going to have any meaningful mm. impact other than, ah, Ben Winshaw's good, isn't he? <laughs> uh, so that's that's where yeah. I'm at. Uh, what about uh, Sankofa? Sankofa, uh, definitely a C plus. Okay. Uh, really, really good. Good performances across the board. Um, I, uh, I, I apologize, I mixed up some of the actors' names. Oh, yeah. um, the, the main character is played by uh, Oyafun Mike. Ogun Lano uh, is the, the main actress's name, uh, okay. and she, she's really great. Um, Kofi Gabbana is like a, a divine drummer character. He's sort of like the one who's uh, keeping the stories uh, connected. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really, really exhilarating. It's really just a, a wonderful discovery. I love when I stumble upon a film like this. Like, yeah. oh, wait, these classics still exist. Yeah, and they're not. They're, and they're, they're not, not necessarily over remembered. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, thanks to Avadir Vinay, we have access to it. You wouldn't know it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but it's, it's, there. it's there. It's right there Go on Netflix. It. So yeah, if, if you have a Netflix subscription, just tune in. Uh, My Little Pony: A New Generation uh, is harmless, or at least mostly harmless. 
but I don't think its execution is really good enough for me to recommend. Again, if you want to show it to little kids, hmm. they won't be worse off for it. But I also don't think they're going to be particularly inspired, enchanted. I just think they're just going to get a pretty okay message and a pretty bland movie. Yeah. So I'm giving it a high C minus. Okay. I just I just don't think it's worth recommending. But it's also not painful. It's mm. just it just is what it is. It just it I, they I, took I, something really interesting and they made something kind of generic. I, I I agree with you that it is kind of generic, but I'm going to give it a C because I think it does have some very positive things to say and a lot of very modern things to say about the way prejudice operates okay. and how insidious it is and how it can even exist in the the, the pony world. Yeah, um, it's a good is, message. Yeah, I don't is, think it's told very is, well. Is, is it you know is it subtler nuance to know? But mm. you know this is a movie about pony people, so uh, yeah. I'm I'm. I'm going to be very forgiving, and I, I'm going to give it a C. All right, and then finally, Dear Evan Hansen. Uh, this is a big old C minus. This is a uh, just a big, oily blot where they uh, had a lot of high ambitions. You can't really make a truly bad film unless you try to aim real high. This yeah. one aims high. A lot of ambition. Hit, splatters a few targets here and there, but doesn't you know, actually hit anything significant. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, just giving us this really unsatisfying kind of awkward non-morality fable mm. that doesn't really have anything significant or human or moral to say about its its scenario. The movie I'm going to compare Dear Evan Hansen to, and I give it a, a big old C- minus as well, mm. um, is a movie that we don't talk about very often because it's not good. Uh, but Passengers, starring Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, a movie that is a horror movie, but seems completely oblivious to that fact. Oh, where uh, he... he um... That that's a science fiction movie about passengers on this multi. It's like a century long tr- yeah. uh, spaceship. Trip. Everyone's cryogenically frozen, yeah. basically, and then one person is accidentally woken up decades, yeah. decades, many decades yeah, too like, soon. Like and he will gonna, die of old gonna, age before they get to their exactly. destination. And uh, for uh, for many years, he sort of tools around this gigantic ship by himself. He realizes that he's lonely. And decides to, uh, the decision is to open another pod, essentially dooming yeah. somebody else to the same fate, yeah, he's just so he has some company. And uh, and uh, then he pretends that that's not what he did in order to get her on his side so that he can romance her. And the movie is completely on his side, even though I'm sympathetic with why he like did he, it, who can blame him for she, like uh, being she, tempted. But the thing that he did is monstrous, and from her perspective... This is a horror movie mm. about being trapped in a place being with held, a stalker, literally held hostage. She cannot yeah. escape from. She uh, and it's really twisted. What ha- the way they they lay it out in that movie is she finds out the truth because inevitably she's going to. That's not a spoiler. Yeah. Uh, and then like a, a gigantic crisis occurs all of a sudden, mm-hmm. and so they're so busy surviving that they don't actually get a chance to mm-hmm. really think or have any kind of meaningful discussions about it. Yeah, and through that crisis, evidently they are able to make up and that that's yeah. the story of that and that's an, that's an irresponsible way to treat mm-hmm. that kind of like emotional manipulation and abuse and i think dear evan hansen is kind of like that i think they had this big idea of how this story would play and how they're gonna hit these all these big notes and we're gonna tell this really you know sort of complicated story about someone who's going through a lot and makes a difficult decision that is bad mm-hmm. uh but then they don't know how to handle the follow-through and as a result, all of my sympathy is for the people Evan Hansen hurts. Uh-huh. And I have very little left for Evan Hansen, even though in a vacuum, yes, I understand what he's going through and it's very sad. So I think they they weren't trying to make a horror movie, but so much of this movie plays like one uh-huh. because of how much he's hurting people, even people who aren't alive anymore. And the movie just doesn't seem to want to be willing to engage with that. Mm-hmm. 
And that's this weird level of detachment from the filmmakers and the story that they're telling that infects the entire movie. And even if things are good about it, they're just trapped under the weight of all that. Mm. And yeah, this is this movie does not work for me at all. Um, and that is critically acclaimed. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll be back next week with more movie reviews like you do. Venom 2 is coming out. That's right. Ve- Venom, colon. Yeah. Let, Let There, there be, be Carnegie. Carnage. Uh, uh, which is well, a story the... about uh, 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 Carnegie Mellon, the university. And at that time, Venom went there to speak. I think it was IGN had a fun, um, like, you don't know Jack game with uh, the director and the lead actor. Uh, is this a Venom symbiote or is it a heavy metal band? Because <laughs> there's a lot of like Venom, yeah, spinoff characters in the comics, yeah, in the yeah, comics. Yeah. So yeah, it's, you know, that's cute. Because and Venom is the name of a band as well. It is. It is. Yeah, that's so, yeah. a good point. Works out well. Uh, but anyway, we're talking about that and a bunch of other things as well. Uh, and uh, yeah, and so uh, thank you for listening. If you haven't subscribed already, please do. We have a lot of other shows here. We have critically acclaimed every week. We have we've got mail. We answer your emails. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We also have a P.O. box. For those are interested. Whitney, what's our P.O. box? Our P.O. box is uh, critically acclaimed network network six uh, Do P.O. box six four one five six five Los Angeles California nine double zero six four. Uh, yeah, send us a physical letter. We like getting those. Yep. Uh, we also have our show canceled too soon. Critically reclaimed, which you can vote on uh, what movie we watch every week. Uh, at their critically acclaimed Patreon. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have a lot of exclusive shows, some of which we talked about today. Uh, all our yesterdays are show where we review every single episode of Star Trek, Holy Batman, we're reviewing every 1960s Batman episode. Uh, we got uh, shows about the Oscars, we got commentary tracks, the, the, the whole galore. Uh, and thank you, everybody uh, who is listening, who is a patron. Without you, we would not be here. Uh, and I wouldn't know what to do with my time. Mm-hmm. So I'm very grateful to you. Thank you so much. Um, and of course, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, I also run a soap store with my partner, M. Lapis Da Silva. It's on Etsy. It's also on social media. Look us up at Salt Cat Soap. Uh, we sell designer soaps. And we've started coming up with some cool stuff for the holidays. Uh, I designed a candy corn soap. Uh, which smells of buttercream and looks just like a big old piece of candy corn, and it's really nice. <laughs> uh, we've also crafted glow-in-the-dark soaps that look like ghosts. Uh, and those have been selling like hotcakes. We cannot keep those in stock. Glow-in-the-dark hotcakes. Uh, if you follow uh, our... Seriously, we're like, we, we made a whole new batch, and we sold out in about 10 minutes. Hey, as soon as right. we announced it. So like, people are liking them, and they're, they're... So if you want some of those, please follow our social media account, we're going to make an announcement of when they're going to get back, come back in stock so people can actually be ready for it. A lot of people were like, oh, I didn't know, and I missed my chance. So follow us at Salt Cat Soap on Instagram or Twitter or on Facebook, and we will make an announcement about when those will be ready. But we also have uh, pumpkin soaps that are coming into the store uh, later this week and some other cool stuff as well. Uh, we have uh, uh, Nevermore Soap, a uh, Edgar Allan Poe-inspired soap coming as well nice. for the holidays. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, again, thank you, everybody, for listening. You're really, really awesome, and uh, we will see you next time. And until then, never forget, everyone is a critic. I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what?